what's up? It's Jimmy Smith. On today's Unlocking the Cage podcast, I examine how much value a UFC title still has over big money fights. I also answer your questions from the listener mailbag and sit down with UFC welterweight Santiago Ponzinibbio. We're continuing today with this kind of debate about money or legacy. And in this case, Charles Oliveira had some comments about Dustin Poirier going for the money fights. Talking about Nate Diaz, although Poirier said that's not going to happen right now. Um, Here's the undertone. Questions are what make fights interesting. Can we agree on that? That the questions going in and leading out of a fight make a fight interesting. A fight without questions isn't really that meaningful to me. I like they give me great fights, whatever. I've seen great fights on a local show that were a lot of fun, okay? But I didn't go, man, where does this person go? What does this mean for their career? What does a loss do to them? What does a win do to them? What does a win do to them? The, the questions make something interesting. The question here that I want you to keep in mind as we have this discussion with my knowledgeable fan base, my knowledgeable crew, and guns, is... Why is there a difference between a championship fight and a money fight? Why? Why? Think about it. I am in the WWE. I work for the WWE. I do Monday Night Raw. Usually the big fight is SummerSlam coming out. Are you excited about SummerSlam guns? As he as he attempts to turn on the microphone, yeah, no, uh, yeah, I'm stuck. Yo, Cena, I'm a big Cena Mar. I love right. Cena. Big Let's Cena go, Mark, right? Roman yes. Reigns. We have Bobby Lashley for Raw. Bobby Lashley versus um, Goldberg. What are those title matches? B- right. Yes, and they're show, the biggest matches. Show me right? the gold, baby. Show me right. that gold. There's no difference between our two main events being, you know, the Raw titles on the line and the SmackDown titles on the line which is the Universal Championship and the WWE Championship, are, they're one and the same. There is no, it's a main event, but there's no title. Or it's a title, but it's thir- it doesn't really work that way. It doesn't work that way in boxing. The biggest fights you can ever think of in pay-per-view history, to, what's the one exception was, of course, Connor. It's almost always gold on the line. Number one in the world is on the line. This idea that, Ali Frazier, widely considered the biggest fight in, in boxing history, certainly the biggest heavyweight fight in boxing history, featured two, first time, by the way, the two undefeated fighters fought for the heavyweight title. Two guys who had a claim to number one in the world. Ali, of course, never lost a title. Frazier was a champion at the time. It was for the gold. It was for the belts, for number one in the world. Pacquiao Mayweather was for the, 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 the titles at 147 pounds. Uh, my favorite of all time, Sugar Ray Leonard versus Tommy Hearns won, was for the, 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 the undisputed title, right? Because Hearns had one belt, I think, at the time uh, Leonard had two. Th- those concepts in, in professional wrestling, sports entertainment, and boxing are, you, you can't separate them. Rarely, it does happen, but rarely is there a big fight that also isn't for a title. In MMA, UFC, whatever, we are getting into an era, and maybe it's the whole holdover or, or I don't say holdover, or side effect of Conor Mayweather and freak show boxing and thriller stuff is, well, this is super entertaining, although there are no stakes. We kind of live in an era where 
you could make tens of millions, hundreds of millions, depending if you're a promoter or a fighter, in a fight that has virtually no stakes. Tyron Woodley versus Jake Paul has no stakes. The winner isn't number one at anything. The winner isn't the number top 50 boxer in the world. It There's no belt on the line that means anything. They may have some stupid triller belt. I don't know. But it's it's meaningless, and yet it makes a lot of money. Do you believe, KOB, that this discussion we're having, I'll get into a minute what, what Charles Oliver said, is an offshoot of an era in which fights like that are happening, right? Where you can make money, you know, Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather. Nothing was on the line, and it made hundreds of millions of dollars. Are we maybe getting into an era where talk about legacy and, and, and money are, are two different things? When they used to be interchangeable, almost inseparable. Sadly, yes. Yeah, I, I think that's where we are headed right now, and I think it's uh, it's it's a little bit the thing that ruined boxing. So I'm a little worried it's going to seep into MMA, but it's it does start. I do think it's uh, related to Jake Paul and Logan Paul and them making tons of money despite not being true fighters. That has kind of made the fighters want either want money fights or they're th- they're way more choosy on what they're doing. So, yeah, I think uh, we're headed in that direction. Yeah. And so, all right, so this is what uh, Charles Over had to say. I'm looking at MMAmania.com. Uh, had some quotes about Dustin Poirier. And Dustin Poirier talked about Nate Diaz. They talked about uh, money fights over legacy fights. Uh, all of us told AG fight, and this is a translation, obviously, from Portuguese. So if anyone knows the original Portuguese and thinks I'm wrong, please give me a call. Today, nobody wants to talk about a belt. They want to know about money, about money in your pocket. The fight against Connor made a lot of money for Dustin Poirier. A fight against Nate will make a lot of money too. We are human beings. It depends a lot on each person. I would rather fight for the belt than for the money. I had a focus. I want to be UFC champion. Today I'm UFC champion. I want to make money. I want to have money in my pocket. If Dustin agrees to fight Diaz, is he wrong? No, it's not wrong. He's right. You have to see what's good for him. Everyone has to choose what is right for them. They considered my fight against Diaz, and I said, they considered my fight against Diaz, and I said that if it was for the belt, I would fight before I fight the belt. I had a focus, which was to fight for the belt. A lot of people said to me, this fight will make you a lot of money, and I said, okay, but money is not the focus now. I want to be UFC champion. Today, I'm UFC champion. Now, I want to make money. Everyone has a way to choose. Today, I'm champion. I'm worried about who will be or who will not be, who has the uh who has to chase and who will fight for the title? It's them, not me. So let's separate this out. And I want your opinions, as always, 877-FIGHT-93, 877-344-4893. Uh, I miss you guys on Mondays, by the way. I miss talking to the fans. I miss people calling in. I don't get that on Monday. So I need an extra bit of it this week. So, because I'm not going to be here Friday, because I'm going to, you know, that SummerSlam thing. Anyway, so... um. Oliver says, I get it. But he also says, for me, I wanted to secure legacy or being number one. Then I worry about money. The weird thing about Poirier is, and Guns, you were not part of this conversation yesterday when we had it, was can he ever be top five in the lightweight division all time without ever being champion? I mean, no, not for him because he's... Lineal champion. He was interim champion. That's not worth, right. to me, a fart in a windstorm. 
Right. Yeah, I don't care about the interim stuff. Right. I mean, Who does? Please, let's let's be honest. Right. Um, so that was the conversation we had yesterday. Is can he be? Because I put him behind PJ Penn. I put him behind Frankie Edgar. You put him behind Benson Henderson. Not that they were necessarily better in their prime than he was, but they all had the title at fifty-five. They all defended the title at fifty-five. Something he has never done. So it's, it's like it's it's like that. It's like. Uh, you know, you can compare it to other sports where they're like, yeah, he was great, but he never, never won the championship. Won the never championship. won the World Series. Never won that NBA championship. Yes. You know, like Chris Paul. Like, you know, Chris Paul is solid, but, you know, you never won that championship. You know, he got right there, but never was able to was do it. was statistically right. the exactly. greatest quarterback of the exactly. 80s. One of the greatest of all time. Never won the ring. But, exactly. but, effing team sport. KOB, how much do you love Top 5 Reasons You Can't Blame? How much do you love that show? It better be a lot or you're no longer my producer. It's amazing, that show. I love that show, okay? And I watch, every now and then, dude, I'll, I'll sit down. I had nothing to do at night, which is pretty rare. But I'll, you know, I'll watch like 10 of them in a row on YouTube, right? And one of them was top five reasons you can't blame Dan Marino for never winning the Super Bowl. And it had some, it was like, look, he never had a great defense. They never built a team around him. They never built a running game. They essentially were like, hey, Dan, do it yourself. And he's like, dude, I, I can't, right? Like, he has a lot of reasons why he never won a ring. You can blame management, ownership, coaching, everything. As a fighter, it's hard to say there were other, unless the promotion just hated you and and never gave you the opportunity, which is pretty rare in this sport. You get at least one. So that's the issue to me. But as as an individual, though, he has the opportunity here to go and fight Oliveira for the title, right? Like, I mean, he essentially... Yes. Yeah. So, but if he doesn't do that, if he goes and goes the McGregor route again, and then says ends up losing Nate. somehow, or what? You're, Nate, the Nate yeah. thing would just would be terrible to destroy him. But he has it right in front of him, so he can only blame himself if he doesn't go for it. I agree, and I haven't heard him gripe about I want it. The UFC won't give it to me. I haven't heard it. He said he hadn't heard from him at all uh, when he talked to Ariel Hawani. So when I talked yesterday about that, and I said, could he ever be top five without winning the title? Most people agree with me that it's just, it's easy to find five guys. That that were number one at one fifty five and defended it right. I mean, it, it's 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 a uh, of course Khabib. He's never gonna get past Khabib, but there's always that the, you know fifty five is a rotating cast of characters. That champion, you know, uh, uh, the the one knock on Khabib is he never had a long run at one fifty five. He never was a champion for a long time. So I um I, I understand what Oliver is saying. Look, chase the money while you can. My issue is, didn't he do that twice, <laughs> right? Didn't he get two fights with Connor that made him – I have t- two caveats. Number one, he already did. He already took on Connor twice when I think he could have fought for the belt probably both times. And Oliveira sells pretty well. I, I, there's this idea that Nate Diaz – certainly a Connor fight does, but Connor's out for a while. The only money fight he could have right now is Nate Diaz. He sure as hell ain't going up to 70. I think Kamaru Usman puts him in the hospital, and that's not an insult. I think he does that to anybody at 55. He does this to most 170s, okay? I think Kamaru Usman is one of the pound-for-pound pound kings right now. So that idea that, oh, he should go for the money, my point is he already went for the money twice. The only money fight left is Nate, which is high risk, low reward, other than the money. And I don't believe, and maybe I am overrating MMA fans. Maybe I am. I think Oliveira versus Poirier sells very, very well. I think a lot of legitimate fans like me really want to see him fight Charles Oliveira for the title. 
Yes, Nate has that casual fan appeal. It's not like casual fans don't like Charles Oliveira. It's not like they don't like, you know, Justin Poirier. It's not like they don't like title fights. So the idea that Nate sells, you know, let's say 50% more, uh, that I don't believe. I don't believe, and that's a good number, I don't believe a Nate Diaz fight sells 50% more than Charles Oliveira versus Dustin Poirier, right? Meaning, just so people aren't great at math, if Dustin Poirier versus Charles Oliveira does 800000 that would mean that the Nate Diaz fight does 400000 more than that, $1.2 million. That I don't believe. It may sell a little bit more, but it's not so much more that it's worth never being champion. And I'm not saying he beats Charles Oliveira, by the way. I'm saying an opportunity at the title. KOB, am I being fair or not? I don't think it sells massively more. I think Charles Oliveira sells pretty well. I think Dustin Poirier has gotten to that point where we want to see a Dustin Poirier fight, and it'll sell pretty well. Am I wrong? Am I, am I just... I, I still believe you'd have to make it a better card. Which they typically Oliver- do for title for fights. Al- for Oliveira versus yeah. uh, Poirier. Then it, might out- then it might outsell or do better, but I still think... Unfortunately, the money fights, as we've seen, whether it be McGregor or Diaz, I think that probably still sells better on but a, how, without a strong I, card. I'm not saying it doesn't sell better, but I'm saying if you're Oliveira, I'm sorry, if you're if you're Poirier and you're making points or whatever, I don't think it makes a, a massive difference. Do you know what I'm saying? I, it might outsell, but yeah, I don't but think your, like that much. Ability, Am I just your wrong? ability to do it though falls a little bit because if you once you have that belt, like yeah, sure, the UFC could just hand Connor another title shot having earned nothing and having lost his last couple fights, but, like, your ability to do it kind of dwindles a little bit. All right, so that's going to... Now, see, the, I don't know if KOB's doing this on purpose. He's a good producer. That segues into what we're talking about. How valuable is the belt? Is the belt, to some degree, as KOB just said, a hindrance to the money fight? I want to fight Connor. They got to give him a title. I'm, a non-champion can bounce around and fight anywhere. A champion can only fight the number one contender, supposedly. Okay, is the UFC devaluing its championship by making essentially money fights a separate category by not ponying up and making the title fights number one? This is Lindsay Rhodes, and I'm so excited for my podcast, The NFL Roadshow, to be joining the SiriusXM Sports family. We'll be talking about the most compelling topics and to some of the most interesting people in and around the NFL. Taking a look at things through my somewhat nerdy football lens. I like to push past the low-hanging fruit to get to the real stories that are going to make you feel like a smarter football fan. So please join me every Wednesday for The NFL Roadshow, available on the SXM app and wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, folks? Jimmy Smith unlocking the cage. I love answering your questions. Big upside of my week. Absolutely love it. Uh, KOB, you have gone through all of them. You've cherry-picked the absolutely best ones. Let me know what they are, KOB. This is your selection. Hit it. All right. This comes from Roddy from New Jersey. Quite a few questions on uh, on Dustin and Connor and all that stuff. I yeah. bet. He- this comes from Rodney from New Jersey who says, hey, hey, Jimmy, do you think Dustin Poirier will ever be a top draw for the UFC? If you watch his past few fights, he's never been the fan favorite. The crowd would always cheer for his opponents, whether it was Connor, Gaethje, Alvarez, or Holloway. Even with his charities, he has a personality that seems a bit standoffish and doesn't really connect with the audience the way Diaz and Masvid all do. Uh, I'm just not sure how much his star power actually grows after the two Connor wins. What do you think? Uh, that's what we're about to test. 
I mean, we don't know. We don't know. I just dealt with this when we were talking about his selection of opponent next. If he's not now, he's never going to be. That, that's it. If he's not now, he's never going to be. There's no one else he can beat. They'll give him, quote-unquote, more exposure. Like, you know, Fighting Connor gives you all the exposure you can get. Beat him twice. Twice he beat him. And once you do, you, you get that kind of, 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 to borrow a pro wrestling term, push, there's, there's nothing else. There's nothing else we can do for you beyond, you know, a, a, a Conor McGregor fight. Nothing gets you more exposure. If you aren't popular now, you're never going to be popular. I believe his next pay-per-view really tests that. Especially if it's Charles Oliveira, who is not, to a lot of people's eyes, uh, a, a, a top draw either. Can he bring in a decent pay-per-view on his own fighting for a title? I, I can't answer that question. I don't know until his next fight when it's him versus somebody who isn't a Connor, isn't somebody who brings in pay-per-views by themselves. That's when we'll find out. Next. All right. Next up, this comes from Travis, who says, uh, Dustin Poirier is in no way an all-time great. He better fight for the championship next. If he doesn't fight for the championship, then I hope he loses his next fight for being greedy. What do you think, Jimmy? That's a little harsh. Uh, I don't believe he's, he's top five and i've said this publicly i don't believe he's top five without winning a title i don't i i can easily put five guys ahead of him he'll never get ahead of khabib period end of sentence he just you know khabib owned him khabib retired undefeated khabib retired with the title i I don't think in the time he has left in his career he'll he'll beat khabib so he's fighting for second place anyway it's easy to put four other guys ahead of him who were just from the, the idea that they were champions and he wasn't just from the idea that, that they were at one time the undisputed number one 155-pounder in the world, and he never was. So do I, you know, I hope he wins, he's being greedy. Or I'm sorry, I hope he loses, he's being greedy. They're professional mixed martial artists. They're professional athletes. They want to make money. I'm just sorry you can't combine these things. I'm sorry you have to choose between legacy or money. I'm sorry you have to choose between a title fight or getting paid as much as you possibly can. In boxing, in professional wrestling, in other combat sports, they're, the, they're one and the same. The biggest fight is the title fight. The most meaningful fight is the one that makes you the most money. So it sucks to me that the UFC is kind of the one major combat sport that might have an exception to that rule. Where fighting Connor or fighting Nate or fighting somebody who is popular but not number one can make you more money. So I'm certainly not to the point where I'm hoping he loses, he's being greedy, and he's doing what he needs to do for his family. I just wish he could do both. But also he hasn't ruled out his next fight being against uh Dustin I'm sorry uh, against Charles Oliveira. We don't know if he'll choose a money fight over Oliveira. We don't know that yet. I'm hoping it's Oliveira. Next. All right, this is a bit of a long one, but there's some interesting scenarios in this one. Sweet. So this comes from Jeff who said <laughs> he calls himself Jeff the Master, but he claims he has a master's degree so the name is appropriate. Oh, uh, okay. Right. But what okay, what he's claiming is first off, Dustin will fight Oliveira next. Certainly assuming possible, Dustin wins, yes. yes. Assuming Dustin wins, he thinks they book him at 170 pounds, which is the perfect justification the UFC would need to not to to either jump Connor ahead or Nate ahead to fight Dustin and not have the belt be on the line, which does make some sense. 
So he's saying it'll most likely be Connor. If Connor's not ready, it'll be Nate. And he's saying the fallout from that would be, okay, Dustin beats Connor at 170, it's over. Same thing with Nate. If somehow Nate or Connor beat Dustin, then you have your justification to knock it down to 155 and put the title on the line. Is basically uh, the long way around it, is what he's saying. Look, it, number one, the UFC doesn't need a justification to do anything. They can literally put anyone they want to wherever they want to. True, so but I think he's, let's he's looking at the Dana mind. White logic of like, you already heard Dana White compare the interim title to the WBC, IBF. He's already looking ahead to the Dana White like, oh, no, that makes total sense. Like, you just beat him at 170, so now we can do, do it at 155. Yeah, I, it's... it's uh, that's, that's the deal, is that you have this, this ability to move people up to 170 and have meaningless fights. Within the division itself, meaning your ability to beat somebody at 170 doesn't mean you'll be at 55. There's no title on the line. It's just guys at 55 who don't want to make weight anymore. That's, that's all it is. It becomes tougher to move things around when you have a champ at 155 who is Dustin Poirier. Meaning, if he beats Charles Oliveira, which is no gimme, that's not going to be an easy fight. Him taking a break and going up to 170 is harder to do. You have a champion who has a title to defend at 155. So, hey, he's going to take a break and go up to 170 for this money fight. Uh, yeah, you can do that, but you're all then backing up a division. You're having a completely unnecessary interim title fight between two people who aren't the champion because you chose to move your guy up to 170 for a non-title fight. So the idea, oh, we, the, the, the rationale for an interim title fight is this guy can't fight at this weight class right now. He's injured, whatever the deal is, he can't. So we had to make this interim fight. That breaks down when you have a guy like Francis Ngannou who can fight at heavyweight, just had to take a couple months off to go to Cameroon or wherever it was. So the idea that you're going to make an interim belt at 55 because we decided to move him up to 170, I, I don't get any of these moves. I'm not saying they might not happen. They might. They don't make any sense. They're arbitrary. So the idea that you have to choose between them, there's no logic for any of them other than we want to make money. That's the hard part. Once you put the belt on Poirier, it's hard to move him around to these big money fights. I don't know if they'll do that once they put the belt on Poirier or if he wins the belt. If he isn't champ, you can do all these moves easily. If he is champ, moving him around gets much, much harder and harder to justify. Next. All right, this comes from Kirk, who says, uh, he gave us another update here. Thanks to me not listening to your picks, I am now out of my mom's basement and made my way back to my house. Uh, I still love you and the gang, but I will be cutting Good, off my radio when you make picks. <laughs> but he says, now for my question. I know you say you are not afraid of anybody, and I tend to believe you. Who is the person in UFC and WWE who you would least likely have to fight? And also, who in the UFC or WWE do you have a little beef with that you would want to fight the most? Don't be passive-aggressive and say, I don't want to fight anyone. Just play along and answer the tough questions, Jimmy. All right, so, so it's who would I not want to fight in the WWE? Like, who would yeah. I most be least, like, I don't want least to fight? least want to fight. Like, yeah, I don't want to fight that guy. Bobby Lashley. <laughs> Done deal. Dude can actually Cover, fight. Covered in both. For the most oh, my. <laughs> yeah, dude. The dude's a giant. Oh, my God. He's huge. And he can legitimately fight. He can actually fight. You know, fought in Bellator. He was uh, a, a decorated amateur wrestler, good submission game. The guy hits hard. And I'm not joking when you walk down the hallway, you got to move out of the way. Bobby's that big. It's really hard to get past him. So if they said you can fight, you know, everybody in W except this one guy, I would go, 
Bobby Lashley ten times. Okay, because there are other heavyweights who are big and strong, but they don't know how to fight. They don't have any particular skill. They, you know, they don't have a submission game, anything like that. Bobby does. So Bobby does, and he's huge. So he's got to be number one of people I wouldn't fight in the WWE. Did he ask the same thing about the UFC? Who would I not fight in the UFC? There are a lot of them I wouldn't want to fight in the UFC. Well, is there, is there one in particular from the UFC that you're like, no way? In Ganu? I mean, Jesus, not for all the I money mean, in the world. <laughs> yeah, like that guy hits you once and you break all your ribs. So, yeah, he'd be number one of people. I'm like, I would not fight that guy because, Jesus, he hits inhumanly hard. Put you in the hospital. But now the second part of the question, anyone you have a little beef with that you'd, that you'd like to take a fight with, that you'd uh, like to n- air out uh, <laughs> number for one, national audience. Right. Number one, there's nobody in the UFC I ever had any beef with at all. Um, I'm trying to think. There, there were, there were. I'm trying to think of anybody in my whole career that I had a beef with. Not a beef, but he was an a hole, and he's known to be an a hole, and he was a total jerk, and he doesn't fight anymore. Uh, but he was a total prick during our interview to the point that somebody, it was at affliction. So my broadcast partner, Sean Wheelock, actually said, like, dude, does that guy have a problem with you? I'm like, dude, I've never spoken to him before. And it was Matt Linland before he fought Vitor Belfort. Was such a prick that, like, it was weird. Like, I was asking him the same question I'd ask anybody else, and he was an a-hole about every single question to the point where, once again, Wheelock was like, dude, that's, I was like, no, I don't even know the guy. But Matt Linland is known for being an a-hole. Like, he's known for that. That's the only guy who was ever – difficult behind the scenes ever. He doesn't fight anymore. Um, but, yeah, he, and he's known. Everybody knows Matt Lynn is like, oh, the guy's a, a royal pain in the ass. Uh, but, yeah, he, and, and, and Belfort, do you remember that? Belfort just destroyed him. And there was quite a bit of shine in Freud I was going through at that moment. But, yeah, Lynn was the only guy who was ever even a dick to me behind the scenes was, was Matt Lynn at Affliction. That's the only time ever. And so, yeah, I guess him, but he doesn't fight anymore, so it's kind of a moot point. But nobody in the UFC was ever even had a tiny little issue with me ever. Never had a problem with anybody. And in Bellator, I mean, like, it was, it was pretty easy. So, yeah, Matt Lillian was the only, only dick ever to deal with. Next. All right, this comes from Keith talking a little bit about what we were discussing yesterday with PVZ and some of the stuff she was saying about her mental health. Us trying to figure out, do you think it's more right. uh, the social media stuff? But uh, he said, you know, I do think it is crap, the amount of hate PVZ and others get online. With PVC, it's tough because she had said she makes way more money doing that, and her and Austin post their fun naked pics. They want the attention. It does make good money for them. Uh, in life, nothing is free one way or the other. There is always a price to pay, and you have to take the good with the bad. As for her reaction to the loss, I wonder if part of that is the way society has changed and everyone gets a prize. Uh, my kid was cut from a hockey team when he was 10, and he was devastated. His mom said it was one of the hardest things to see. That being said... I talked to him, explained to him, you will never succeed without knowing how to deal with failure. He worked harder at practice all year, and the next year he made the team. I think in the long run, giving everyone a ribbon does more harm than good. What do you think of that, Jimmy? I mean, I'm not, I'm not a fan of giving everybody a ribbon, but we're talking about athletes that have competed at the elite level for a long time, right? We're talking about, that's another, it's not, these aren't, you know, people criticizing 
athletes for how they're reacting to losses. Like she's had other losses. She's been competing at the elite level for a long time. This isn't someone who hasn't gotten over other defeats. Why this one was particularly that much worse is an interesting question. She didn't have a great record in the UFC. She got beat plenty. And your ability to come back from losses or, or difficulties defines you as an athlete, as a fighter, as a person 100%. It really does. My question would be why this particular loss, if you talk about, oh, man, it's everybody getting a ribbon and how our society is, well, that happened in her first loss in, in bare knuckle. That happened when she lost in the UFC. That happened a lot of times. What isn't clear, which is maybe the crux of the issue to me, is why this loss was that much worse, why this one was particularly difficult to deal with, right? Overcoming is, is part of sports, and it sucks. You're going to go through losses, man. Nobody's undefeated. And how you deal with that is tough. But why was this one so much worse? So to say, oh, man, she's mentally weak and this and that, okay, you can make that accusation, but she had been through other losses that didn't make her not want to live anymore. Why this one? Why this one? And so the reason I I talked about kind of the online hate and the online difficulties is a lot of people were piling it on her when she lost her first fight in bare knuckle and losing another one to Rachel Osovich, I think just compounded that problem. That's why I thought it may have been the social media reaction, because my question is always why this one been through other losses, been through other downtimes. Why this one? And I think social media was the only answer I could personally come up with, but the only person who knows is Paige Van Zandt. She's the only one who knows. You can send your questions to the UTC Mailbag by sending us an email at utcmailbag at gmail.com. Get them in. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. What's up, folks? Jimmy Smith unlocking the cage. A special guest with us right now, UFC welterweight Santiago Ponzanibio. I got to ask, man, uh, you're, you're joining the, the bad net club, huh? With me and KOB, right? Yeah, man. That's tough, man. Net got tough, man. A lot of rushing. A lot of training, rushing, hit on. Yeah, man. That's the shit. Oh, it's, it's the absolute worst, man. I feel you. So, first thing I got to ask, man, uh, great comeback win in your last fight. Has the UFC been in touch with you? I had a conversation uh, where we were talking about Dustin Poirier, and Dustin Poirier gave an interview where he said, I won my last fight against Conor, and I haven't heard anything at all. Do you know what's coming up next for you at 170 pounds? Have there been any talks about your future at 170? Brother, I think in my last fight, I, I showed to the world I'm back. Yeah. The same guy, they're coming with the same victories in a row. The same guy, they don't come out in Magni. Gordon Nelson, you know, is back, you know. I take a really tough opponent, under 15, you know. I think that he's hard-level guy, you know, probably the level of the top 10 guy, you know, and I do good job. I show my, my chin is there, you know. I do good fight. And realistic, I like to buy the, the spot that I, I had before, you know. I'm number six in the world. I remove for I am sick. I don't lose, you know, and uh, uh, I like to buy, you know, for somebody top seven. I call this guy Belal Mohammed for I, I saw the hit call to Neil Mani. After that, he called 
Kevin Lee for fighting yeah. UFC 266 in September, and I'm ready to fight in September. I say, okay, we can do the fight, you know, but if not Belal, I went, I wish somebody in the top seven, you know, Michael Kies, a good fight, Thompson, Luke, we can do a great fight with Vicente Luke, Gilbert Pons, there's so many good names there. They're coming winning, and I know my level is there, you know. I know I'm one of the best fighters in the world. I, I only like to give me the opportunity to can show this for the world. Uh, speaking of Michael Chiesa, I was going to ask you about it. You just brought it up right now. In his loss to Vicente Luque, he right. said openly, he goes, I put too much pressure on myself. I was thinking, oh, man, my ranking, and if I win this, maybe I have a title shot next. And he just put a little too much on his shoulders in that fight, and he believed that that affected him negatively. Do you know what that feeling is like, man, where, where when you came back against Li Jing Long, you know, you had a long time off. Can you put too much on yourself mentally before a fight, man? No, I don't think I put too much too much in myself, but it's different, you know. I passed yeah. one year with a big line in my hair, take antibiotics, not training, you know. Yeah. I'm, I really I have a lot of complicated problems, you know. Um, man, after the fight, I made, I did a medical study in the UFCPI, and I have the result, man. I have in the paper. I don't know 100% for this fight, but this, me, Fall, you know, for I like to jump in for the five, for I'm very excited for a bag. You imagine, same victories in a roll. The yeah. people told me, one more fight, you want to go to the bed, and after that, everything that I, I need to pass, then maybe I can fight again, the, all the problems, I'm very excited to back. And, you know, I think it's an activity, it's, you know, it's not 100% physical, and also, it's this guy not beat me 15 minutes. It's just only one punch, yeah. lucky punch in the right spot, and that's it. You know, I feel so bad for I really believe I am better than this guy. I'm I think I'm better fighter, but it's part of the game. Thank God I back. I take under fit guy. I know that's very difficult fight. The UFC told me nobody likes to fight with this kid. The name is not to be, but the abilities, he's very good. Power, good grappler, good wrestler, you know, he's very completely physical, very strong, tall guy, you know, it's no easy guy, but, you know, and also coming under feet, you know, the impact is very good, but, you know, I know if I beat this guy, I can show I am ready for my way for the belt, I know, I, this is what I do, I beat this guy, and I show, you know, I, for, for this, I told you, I waited somebody in the top seven to beat, now in September, maximum October, and also try to fight again in end of the December, and for the next year, I fight for the bell. You know, I don't like to lose more time. You know, I'm, I lose too much time. 26 months in my prime. I am the coach with antibiotics. You know, it's the worst feelings, you know, in my life. You know, and now I like to record the time I lose. You know, I I went into to fight soon and to fight with a high-ranking guy, you know. Uh, talking right now to Santiago Ponzinibbio, UFC welterweight. Let's take. Let's go back to that fight against Miguel Baeza. He had a great first round, man. Had you rocked, had you hurt, coming right. off the loss to G- Li Jinglong and and the time you had off. Is it easy to get down on yourself? Is it easy to think, man, oh, do I still have it? Did I, were any of those doubts in your head, or did you push them all out? Talk about the mentality when the fight isn't going well, like it didn't last time. You have to come back. I am happy with the mentality. You know, for yeah. the happen in this fight. When I start the first round, I, 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 
I bring one strategy for fight with this guy. Same time I fight with Daniel Magni, my in out, my footwork. You know, I do very well that. And I know that he's gonna kick me in the leg. And my my idea is to make miss the kicks and punching him. But when I start to move him, it's very slippery. The case is very slippery. They put something for the COVID and they make mm. very slippery. And when I start to move him, I'm slippery and he kicked me. And for sure, man, it's very complicated, you know. And when they finish the first round, I sit in the corner. I say, probably I lose the first round. I can do it my game. The I bring, I can do the moving. And for the second round, I say, okay, I'm going to change. I'm going to go more forward. I start to check the, the kicks, not try to make miss. I'm going to check. I go more forward and I put, you know, more volume the punches. Anytime the kid try to beat me once, I, I try to beat two, three, four times, you know. And this is what I do. The second run, I walk more forward, start to move in, put more volume in my punches, try to check the kicks. And, you know, I'm happy for I have the, the capacity in my mind to readjust the strategy in the fight. That's not easy, and especially when you have a lot of damage. You know, my I have 21 kicks he gave me in the first round, very powerful kick, you know, and, you know, but I can do, I can did that, you know, and, and, and change my second round and my third round still better. You know, I put more volume. I think I broke him mentality, you know, for he never passed for for this in a one fight, you know, and, and I take a good red victory. What do you think of Kamaru Usman and his run so far? It looks like he's mowing everybody down. He's getting better and better and better. It's almost like they're having trouble finding bodies to go in there against him. Is it exciting being in a division with a champ that, that's, that's doing that? So, like, you know they're going to come around you eventually as long as you keep winning. Is that something that keeps you going, man? The, the, the champ is going to get through all those contenders. You know, you're going to get up there eventually because – you know, he beat Masvidal twice. He's up against Colby right. Covington. That's his second time. You know, they're going to need that new blood, and you might be that person. How motivating is that for you, man? Yeah, for me, it's amazing. I really respect Kamaru Usman. He's amazing champion. I think he's the best fighter pound for pound right now. Yeah. Um, I I love the fight for me. You know, I accept the fight in the main event in Chile. You know, I take the fight. I injured. I need to pull out. You know, but, you know, I have... Good footwork, good straight punch, good distance. You know, this is the right game to fight with Camarus. But hopefully, he stay. You know, with the belt when 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 I am there. You know, when I can fight for the belt. You know, for for me, it's a dream to fight with this guy. You know, I I know I can beat Camarus, but I know I can beat everybody in this division. You know, and hopefully, I can take this this opportunity. What do you think? Uh, fighters do wrong against Kamar Usman. Seems like he's getting better. He's knocking more guys out. Do you think they underestimate right. his power? What do you think they do wrong when you look at it from the outside? You can you can subestimate nobody, man. There's four ounce gloves, man. There's, you need to be careful with the punches, you know. And I think if you put too much attention in the wrestling in the legs, the hand is there, you know, and his power, you know, is not Demian Maya. With Demian Maya, you can take a couple punches, no problem. But, you know, Kamaruzman, sure, he have a really good power and also good technique, too, for he coming improving. He working both stand, you know, orthodox, sapo. He's coming improving a lot. He's really good, but I think, you know, you need to stay good footwork, move well, stay at good distance, good defense takedowns, and, you know, I think you need to put a good pressure on the on a stand up, you know, in the punches. I think this is the the way to to be the champion. 
Last question I have for her. I know you got to know you got to get that that neck checked out. Trust me, KOB right. and I understand that yeah. completely. Last question I yeah. have for you: If you could pick pick that next opponent for you when you come back later this year, November, December, even September, who do you want next? Man, somebody in the top seven. This this was perfect. You know, if I can pick up, you know, I'm gonna say probably Vicente Luque, but I don't mm. know, you know, if this fight can happen. But you know, they have Michael Chiesa. Between this guy, Michael Chiesa, Luke, Steve Thompson, Burns, or also Belal Mohammed, you know. Uh, one of these guys, I think, is a good fight for me back. Anybody you fight, Santiago, you always make it entertaining. Love watching you fight, man. Hope we see you again soon, buddy. Good luck with your neck. Thank you, my brother. Thank you for your time. Anytime, Santiago Ponzinibbio, UFC welterweight. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Andy King is director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. And SiriusXM Fight Nation program director, Marissa Rivas. Serious XM Podcasts.